This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined in Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Good Sam. How was your weekend? Uh, it was good. Uh, I learned how to clip the wings on my chickens. Only on one side, though. Yes, so now they can fly in circles instead of flying onto the neighbour's roof at six o'clock in the morning, <laughs> which is very good. <laughs> and who are we introducing today? Um, today, it is my great pleasure to introduce Simone Wood, who is one of our colleagues from Otago Polytech. She's on the teaching and learning team, but she's also, um, and we'll hear about this um, during the interview today, a photography enthusiast who's been exploring coastlines. And um, the way that Simone wrote about it to me, it really it really touched me, that you, the way it was so passionate and so beautifully um, expressed. And so I just thought, wow, it would be really cool to interview you to sort of to explore that a little more. So welcome and thank you for joining us today. Uh, kia ora, Mawara and Sam. Good to be here. Welcome, Simone. How was your bubble life? For me personally, it was pretty good, really. Um, I suppose it was a strange mixture of finding many parts of it quite pleasant for me, whilst realising that a lot of people were either suffering from illness or suffering from the effects of lockdown and losing jobs and things in one way or the other. So, yes, a bit of a confusing time. Um, But overall, for me personally, quite a positive experience. And I certainly learned quite quite a lot from it, which I've sort of carried forward, which I'm pleased about. And where are you? So I'm just across Otago Harbour from you, Sam. Uh, I'm in Broad Bay on Otago Peninsula, which is uh, one of the most beautiful places in the world, I think. So that yes. was a big part of lockdown being pleasant for me, was the fact that we were here and could enjoy the uh, enjoy the harbour. My favourite swimming route is to do the triple figure eight around all of the islands. Wow, that's which, not which, something which... that I do. <laughs> <laughs> so were you working during the lockdown? Yes, pretty busy actually because, yes, as uh, Moira said, I work in the learning and teaching support team at the Polytechnic. So we, in our normal roles are to help teachers at Polytechnic in all sorts of ways to um, develop their teaching skills. Um, we run a the uh, teacher training program for new lecturers. Um, my particular job is mostly focused on uh, helping teachers to use educational technology. So 
of course, lockdown was a baptism by fire for a lot of teachers who are great face-to-face teachers and suddenly they had to teach um, through video online using all sorts of tools that they were not necessarily very familiar with. Um, and I was listening to your interview with Leslie Gill earlier and she was talking about being moved onto Microsoft Teams quite suddenly. And so I was uh, part of a group of people who were helping the academics to do that. Um, and so what the academics didn't know at the time was that we were reading the instruction manual about 10 minutes before we were on a phone call with the academics and then we were trying to sound confident about what would happen when they started doing particular things on Teams because we wanted them to feel confident about what they were doing. So uh, we, uh, yes, because we wanted them to be worrying about, well, not worrying, we wanted them to be feeling that they could focus on their teaching skills whilst we help them with the technology. So hopefully that sometimes that sometimes worked out. It was interesting, has been interesting during the, the pandemic, that all of a sudden a whole lot of things that we thought we couldn't do, we've suddenly discovered that we can do. But then we have to mix that with a, but hang on, that was emergency teaching. That's not necessarily well-designed how you might do it in a if you had long time to, to do it. Um, in, in a sort of a well-designed way. How did you sort of balance that helping people do something which was a, a really great educational experience and the, we've just got to get make this work? I think we, um, yeah, we discovered that term uh, emergency remote teaching pretty early on in the process and we were keen to use it with teachers so that they realised that we certainly weren't expecting them to become fantastic online teachers all of a sudden um but we were you know my team who are all a bit sort of tech heads and quite enjoying new apps and all that sort of thing but um we know that there are plenty of people for whom that doesn't come so naturally or they don't just don't have the time to spend that we do learning to use new apps so we um we were really impressed about how teachers got on board with it, actually, um, and just this incredible focus that all the teachers that we came across had on doing the best for their learners, you know, and making themselves learn the technology so that they could do the best. And that included, you know, thinking about questions like, is it better to have my video on or off when I'm teaching? Uh, is it better to ask my students to have their video on and off? You know, the balancing of the personal connection that you get through seeing people's faces, but on the other hand, knowing that some people get quite distracted or put off by seeing their own faces on video. You know, teachers were thinking so hard about those things, about the different ways of connecting. You know, some were ringing their students up every week to make sure they kept them engaged, especially if they were first-year students who hadn't had long to get involved. Um, You know, they were exploring using text messages, messages on Teams, um, the internal website, they just would try anything to keep that relationship going with the students. And they recognised that whilst the learning was important, keeping the relationships going was really important too. So, yeah, we thought that was, yeah, incredibly impressive. And we learnt a huge amount ourselves from the, from the teachers. Yeah, I think it absolutely highlighted that notion that the relationship is key. Yes, that's right. But what we're um, now that a bit of time has passed, and fortunately most people aren't uh, in lockdown apart from our colleagues in Auckland. Um, small group of us are actually 
about to start a research project, which is going to be hopefully interviewing 10 polytechnic academics about their, specifically about their experiences of using technology for teaching during lockdown, um, seeing how it's changed their attitudes to technology in terms of their confidence about using it and their wish to use it in the future. We've certainly anecdotally you know, had some teachers saying, oh, I'm now doing things I wouldn't have dreamt of doing and I'm going to carry on doing them because I actually found they work with the students. And others were saying, well, it was fine for that time, but we're going to, you know, we want to, we're very happy to get getting back to face to face. That's what our students like and that work, that's what works for us in our context. So, um, yeah, hopefully we're going to get 10 case studies out of this of, you know, different ways that people's attitudes have changed technology what helped them to learn technology so that we can um, do better in future with with that side of the training that we provide and also learning how people's, uh, you know, how they have changed their teaching permanently if they have. So uh, we're looking forward to uh, getting that little research project going soon. I wonder what we will find that we've learnt beyond, perhaps beyond the, the details of the technology because that technology changes all the time. Um, yes. but but we've I wonder what we've learnt about how we you know how we teach or what we teach or the the profession of teaching perhaps yes that's what I'll be really interested to find out I think that point that we've already said about relationships is yeah one of the key ones that we need to find ways to use technology that maintains relationships um, but I think you know there's funny things like you know online quizzes being used for exams um, which reduces time for marking if they're well designed they can be good in certain circumstances and maybe teachers wouldn't have thought of using those at all before and now you know they won't always use them but they can probably see the possibilities for them that they wouldn't have done before so uh, yeah it's I think the jury's still out on all of it but it's definitely worth exploring in depth, I think. Hamish Smith and I are working on a similar project, working with uh, people, the IT lecturers. So for whom you'd think that the technology wouldn't be such a, a challenge. It's techno, techno, the IT lecturers from uh, around the, the South Island. And one of the things that they said is it's, it's a different group of the, the learners sort of come to the fore. People who were being quiet in class are, are, are much more... Um, prepared to share and discuss things online than than in the classroom, so maybe that does hint to the the value of this this technology and remote teaching even for face to face. That's interesting. So was that because they could type things rather than speak, or they were more willing to share through speaking as well? I'm not sure. I think it was, it came actually, because different people tried different things, as you're saying. Some people were not using video and other people were, some people were um, moved, did, did sort of canned lectures for the for the lecture material and then did all of the class time in just straight out, you know, having a chat, pastoral care. And, and mm. lots of them stressed that. But they, in fact, I think it's, I'd need to go back and check the notes, but I'm pretty sure it was across the board people reported differences in who were, you know, the, the people who they thought were going to be the vulnerable students, the ones that would be sort of sitting in the back quietly, they thought they might lose entirely, 
actually really flourished in in remote. So yes, well that's interesting. Yeah, really looking look forward to hearing from that. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Dolly Parton, Dumb Blonde. So okay, so why this one? Um. It, most people who know me would be very surprised by this choice because I'm uh, not the slightest bit like Dolly Parton in looks or character, but there's something about her total love of life and the verb that she puts into her music, and uh, it gets me dancing around the kitchen in private every time I listen to this. So, um, yes, there's that little bit of me somewhere hidden deep inside that Dolly brings out. So Mawira said that you have been doing a photography on the coastline since the lockdown. Yes, I suppose that was one of my big discoveries of lockdown when we um, couldn't go very far. Um, but we live in Broadway on the Otago Peninsula, as I mentioned, and we've got a lovely walkway that goes from Broadway along to Portobello, which is about um, 20 minutes walk. Uh, on the uh, newly opened cycleway so it's a very nice comfortable place to walk now without traffic zooming up behind you um, and of course there wasn't much traffic around then anyway um, so every day my husband and I or sometimes just me sometimes with my husband went for a walk up 
up along the side of the harbour. And some days we went for a bike ride a little bit further along to Harwood. And it was just the thing of going along the same route every day that made you notice the small things and the changes that there were. And I got me aware of the, all the small creatures that live in the intertidal zone that I'd never been aware of before. Um, so I was discovering sea anemones and starfish and funny little things called chitons, which are little hard-shelled things with uh, something called a snakeskin chiton, which has got this lovely little circle around it that looks like a snake. And it's only about, yeah, two or three centimetres big. But um, when you look closely at it, it's absolutely beautiful. So, yeah, just taking the time to walk the same route every day so that you notice the small changes, you notice the different things that were happening at different times, depending on the tide. You realise that the birds had habits just like we did, and there were always two paradise ducks on a particular corner when I went for my eight o'clock walk, um, and a shag that was sort of more or less at the same place. And I learnt where the uh, the heron slept up in a big macrocarpa tree above the bay. Um, and so then that led me to start taking my... Uh, or both my phone with me and then my camera. Um, and this was, yes, a mixture. Yeah, both things to do with being middle-aged, I suppose. One was to do with my eyesight and the other's to do with my memory. Um, the camera helped me to see things in more detail that I couldn't see straight with my eyes or uh, even with my glasses on. So it was lovely to sort of take the pictures of the small things back home and blow them up and see the detail. Um, and also the memory just... Um, you know, I've seen so many wonderful things, but I knew I wouldn't remember them properly. So taking photographs of them uh, really helped me with that. And I do go back and look at the photographs and I'm sort of getting better at organising them into different different creatures. And yeah, one of the once I just um, happened to find a little, well, it was a little dark red blob and I wasn't even sure what it was. And so I decided to train my video on it with the camera video function just as the tide was coming up and I was realising that it was actually an anemone. And for seven minutes, I just filmed it gradually opening from being this little jelly blob to being a beautiful tentacled anemone. Um, and yeah, it was such a privilege, but yes, if it hadn't been locked down, I wouldn't have had time to just watch an anemone open for, for seven minutes. So uh, that was, uh, that was fantastic. Um and then the other side of that was uh, I got into using a, an app called iNaturalist, which is a sort of citizen science project where you can take photographs of any plants or animals or fungi and you upload the photographs and it uh, automatically collects the data of where you saw it. And you can, it's got two great things to it. One is that it helps you to identify what it is by matching the picture that you've taken with pictures that are in its database. And then the other side of it is that people from all around the world can see what you've uploaded and will come in with identification. So I just started learning lots about fungi and anemones and all sorts of things and things I, you know, I had a quick look in my book and was sure what it was. And then some expert would come in and say, <laughs> no, you can't be that sure actually, because there's 10 other things that look incredibly similar to that. Um, and I'm not, 
too hung up on needing to know exactly what something is, apart from the fact that when I read about it, then it helps me to understand why it's in that particular place, how it fits into the ecosystem, what it's eating, who eats it, you know, what times of year it's there and all that sort of thing. So that was why I was particularly interested in finding out what things were. Um, and I got into iNaturalist just before lockdown, actually. I just happened to get off, got off the bus, um, by, which is right by the harbour. And I saw these two dark shadows in the water as I got off the bus. So I snapped them quickly with my phone and it turned out that they were a particular type of stingray, which is, they do happen in the harbour, but not all that often. But I posted it on iNaturalist and somebody contacted me from the Australasian Fish Society or something, which made me feel incredibly important. <laughs> and they were quite excited about these skates. Oh, they see these stingrays, I should say. Um, and then, yeah, that just got me into the habit of using iNaturalist. And then because I had this time over lockdown to go for a walk, sometimes at the beginning and end of the day, um, just started using it more and more. And it was a great way to learn about these creatures. But then it's also, you feel sometimes it's, it's quite useful because the data is collected and can be used by scientists. So if you found something unusual um, or, you know, just to know how common things are, I've now joined a, a group where they keep an eye on Karerea, uh, uh, New Zealand falcon. And so I've, yeah, recently I've been very lucky to have some beautiful falcons landing very close to me and I've been able to take quite nice photos of them just by chance. And um, yeah, I uploaded those and, you know, that means that, Somebody out there who's in, you know, trying to keep data on how falcons are doing has got that data that I saw falcons in those two different places. So, you know, it feels it, it could be useful as well sometimes. So fun and useful and educational. It's pretty good. I took pictures of wildlife over the weekend. I took pictures of Pukeko on uh, our yeah. on our Pekka Pekka feeders. They, they, <laughs> they kind of... They're kind of, they can fly. They're not particularly strong flyers. They sort of hop fly up onto the up onto the feeder, and they're not supposed to be nectar feeders, but they seem to be having a whale of time on the on the nectar feeders. And one of them, we assume it's the male because he's cheeky and and um, arrogant, so and so, um, has taken to doing whatever he can to take the cage of food that's underneath the feeder and to drag it back into the paddock and across to the pond. <laughs> mm, three three times three times in the weekend wow. we've had to go and rescue it. <laughs> yes, Pukeko are a bit of a divisive subject, aren't they? I think they're beautiful, but yes, I don't have a the sort of garden which gets wrecked by Pukeko, so I know some people aren't quite so keen on them. And the other thing we had was the... You go. They're so smart and resilient. I always thought they should be our our national bird. Yes, less vulnerable than kiwi. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you're right. The other thing we have is Rosella. Did the Rosella make it across to you? No. No, they never come across this side, as far as I know. I saw one in the Polytechnic Garden the other day actually um just well just before lockdown but no they don't they haven't made their way across here yet there's a bit of a flock in sawyer's bay let's take tahu mckenzie bubble sprite of the forest of orakanui dinidin's favorite goddess tahu mckenzie 
ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui kia koutou, ko tahua hau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars, in your beloved universes. And I really hope, wherever you are and whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very fulfilling and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect unique and here making things better thank you so of course i've had the most wonderful weekend and i really hope you have too and i've been so excited to tell you about it just really looking forward to these five minutes together each day so thank you so much to sam and the blown bubbles dream team for having me it's really a wonderful 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 amazing creative therapeutic avenue and channel for me to reframe my daily experiences so thank you as we all know, when we are born into this world, we come here with unique gifts to share and we are connected to all life in an infinite way. We are related to all life and we are the sum of all life, cooperating and co-evolving. And we too are taking up in this cooperative co-evolution together. We are making this world ready every day for the lives that are waiting to be born. And I've been so grateful this weekend that I've been really struck by the importance of acknowledging and recognising the contributions that everyone is making, being grateful for them, offering them the opportunity to exercise their freedom because, of course, we are all free, all life is free. And it's so important that this is recognised and it's so important that this is supported. We are here to freely cooperate and freely co-evolve, freely share our unique myriad gifts. So this weekend, I had a very exciting big bug birthday for eco-warrior Fletcher, who of course is absolutely incredible and inspiring and turning five. So he and all his beautiful friends and whanau came along and wonderful Leslie, amazing wife of amazing Sam and my dear advocacy invertebrate expert Samuel Purdy from my education dream team came along and all of these incredible advocacy invertebrates came along like Jenny the very large and hairy and beautiful black tunnel web spider who has a very large fluffy abdomen which could be full of spider babies which is very exciting and for all of the species that were there on the day we were able to acknowledge their right to freedom and acknowledge their right to be engaged with in a way that really worked best for them. And this is really important to me. And I've loved being at Orokanui for the last 11 years because for me it's all about that recognition of individual freedom and collective contribution. That all the species are there living as they have evolved to live free and safe and encouraging everyone who visits us, of course, to take part with them in this ongoing conservation conversation. How can we best help everybody to feel safe and at home and protected and free here in beautiful Aotearoa, New Zealand. And so for this birthday party, of course, it was wonderful to encourage in Fletcher, the amazing eco-warrior and all his beautiful friends, that understanding and that possibility of their own freedom, engaging them in decision-making, voting for each part of the party, voting what they wanted to do and when they wanted to do it, so that all the decisions felt right. They felt that everyone had been engaged in them. And the same for when we were interacting with the magnificent Takahe, or the stunning Longfin eel, my dear friend Waimarie, the beautiful Jenny, or the amazing Carlos, 
the sheet web spider. So it was a real opportunity to have a true and spontaneous right interaction that arose from a place of presence and connection and understanding with each other that all life felt supported and engaged with and that we were thanking each other for taking part. So we really enjoyed feeding Waimariye the eel, her favourite, some very yummy steak. And we really enjoyed gently connecting with Jenny, the beautiful black tunnelweb spider, not holding her, just really enjoying gazing upon her beauty, learning more about her in a way that was not stressful for her. And I really loved seeing, of course, and this, I think this always happens, that when we recognise and engage the life around us in the decision-making process as free and perfect and highly complex choice-making individuals, we see the most beautiful gifts and skills coming forward as part of that collective co-evolution. So I really hope that for all of you, this is happening around you too, and I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're talking about the privilege of being able to slow down and, and walk that same route every day and, and stop and look at the um, the animals and plants. Did you, though, find yourself rushing back to being busy? What, I mean, after lockdown? Yeah. Uh, yes, to some extent, though I have kept up those habits. I don't walk as much as I should do now unfortunately it's a shame how quickly that's gone but i do still make time to uh, i started going around hooper's inlet quite a lot and seeing the birds there yes not feeling that we have to go dashing off into town to see films and things so much but just enjoying what's here we have been out of dunedin two or three times since lockdown and that's been wonderful as well and i have been taking photographs uh um, in other places as well but um, yeah definitely have slowed down I hardly ever go shopping now I think that's a good not that I was ever a great great shopper but I think uh, going shopping has become even less interesting than it had been before. Some people are describing the the, the what we need to happen after the pandemic as a recovery and other people are seeing it as an opportunity for a reset. How are you describing it? I'm definitely in the reset category. Um, I think there were a lot of things that people found they really enjoyed and valued during lockdown. And I very much hope that we can capitalize on those because yes i'm totally convinced that we need some quite drastic changes in society both in new zealand and elsewhere in the developed world and yes i think we've got a much too material culture which isn't good for our planet and isn't good for our souls and we managed to get away from that a little bit during lockdown and i think the big problem is that yes it's hard to make that transition really quickly you know because we can't have people not having livelihoods um not having jobs but the way that our economy has been run for yeah the last few decades certainly isn't sustainable for us or for the planet so it's yeah we shouldn't lose this opportunity that we have when people you know when people do realize that a less materialistic life 
and a less busy life is um, is in many ways a good one as long as we can yeah make sure that people are safe and well fed and secure so of all the societal changes we've seen over the last few months what do you think will stick and what do you hope will stick I certainly hope that people will feel the need to travel abroad less. I think, um, you know, air travel is a huge problem um, and it's a problem for my family because, as you can tell from my accent, I'm English. So my father and uh, my two children, who are both adults, they all live in England and so we do go backwards and forwards from there from time to time. That was one of the worst things about lockdown, actually, was the fact that we were due to go go and see them in May. And so obviously we didn't. Um, and now we're not quite sure when we're going to see, see them again. But, um, you know, I think that's a dilemma when you've got family overseas. But hopefully we'll feel the need to travel for fun overseas less. And I think the f- we've all realised how easy it is to be in contact with people by video and such uh, so maybe it's still good to have face-to-face meetings and I don't think we should lose that altogether but um, just maybe not do it so much maybe you know if you've got a group of people working together on a project or in a on a job uh, then uh, you know maybe they need to get together once face-to-face at the beginning so that they can really make build relationships together and then go on to, uh, you know, video meetings after that, and then maybe have a once a year face-to-face rather than a once, once a month face-to-face, something like that. Um, yeah, the balance between, yeah, maintaining relationships but not doing so much travelling is one of the things that I hope we'll learn from it. I think one of the big important things is trying to retain trust in government. I think, you know, comparing here with... Britain, where my family is and lots of friends are, you know, there's very little trust in the government there. And here there was, and to some extent still is, quite a high level of trust in government. Um, And without that, it's going to be very difficult to make changes. You know, you feel if we have a government in future that is really keen to push through some really serious sustainability measures they need to have a lot of credibility and a lot of trust from people to push that through Um, and it was great to see that when the government did have a high level of trust what they could achieve Um, but trust is very easily lost um, and difficult to rebuild so yeah I hope we yeah I hope our politicians can earn well maintain our trust or earn our trust it's certainly shown that change is possible. We're not going to have um, much patience with politicians that tell us that things aren't possible anymore. Exactly. Yes. What lessons do you think we can take from how we've responded for the larger scale, longer term sorts of questions, climate change, social injustice and so on? Well, I'd think we have learned to be less materialistic and to value people more and in many cases to value nature more because I'm certainly not the only one who enjoyed connecting with nature dur- uh, during walks and things 
but I, I do think there's a bit of a gap between, you know, a society that people might be more willing to see now, but knowing how to get there, as I was saying before, without people losing jobs, that's that's the problem. What we really need is a vision of society that shows how everybody can be looked after in it. So I'm really pleased to see, you know, there are lots of online meetings talking about um, things like Kate Raworth's uh, donut economics model, um, people talking about universal basic income again, um, we need to be willing to have experiments with those alternative economic models. Yeah, and that's where we need yeah governments that uh, who will draw on existing goodwill but be convincing and uh, yeah inspire our trust to uh, to give it a go. How much do you think that vision of the society, future society? is needed in terms of a sort of a, a positive way forward? I think a vision that we can mostly buy into, you know, collectively buy into is extremely important, you know, because it's, it's a two-way thing. You need leaders who will inspire us and work out exactly how things happen, but you need people to be committed to it, um, seeing it aligning with their values. And the people need to push the government to um, to move in that direction or to show the politicians that they will be electable. You know, sometimes politicians are very cautious because they don't think they'll be re-elected if they do something too radical. And uh, yes, the people need to show that actually they're ready, ready for it. Um, hopefully... We are ready for it. I think quite a few people are, but maybe not enough. And I think we're rapidly drifting back into quite a materialist uh, culture. So, um, yes, how we uh, you know, stop that rapid slide back is, is a bit of a concern, I think. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have Lemur from Charles Trenner. Why this one? Uh, so it's uh, La Mer, it just means the sea, and it's a beautiful uh, French song about the sea and how lovely it is and the sunlight glinting on the waves and that sort of thing. So because I love living by the sea, it's sort of very close to my heart. But also my father is um, uh, grew up in Quebec, which is in the French-speaking part of Canada, so French culture is quite a strong part of my life despite my uh, very English sounding uh, <laughs> sounding accent so um, yes just connects me well with, uh, with my Quebecois side La mer Qu'on voit danser Le long du golfe clair a des reflets d'argent La mer Des reflets changeants Sous la pluie La mer Au ciel d'été Confond ses blancs moutons Avec les anges et purs La mer Bergère d'azur infinie 
Voyez, près des étangs, ces grands roseaux mouillés. Voyez, ces oiseaux blancs et ces maisons rouillées. La mer les a bercés le long. Des golfes clairs et d'une chanson d'amour, la mer a bercé mon cœur pour la vie, la mer qu'on va danser le long des golfes clairs à des reflets d'argent. La mer des reflets changeants sous la pluie. La mer au ciel d'été confond ses blancs moutons avec les anges si purs. La mer bergère d'azur infinie. Des étangs, ces grands roseaux mouillés. Voyez, ces oiseaux blancs et ces maisons mouillées. La mer, les abercés, le nom des golfes C'est mon cœur pour la vie. So we have some questions to end the show with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Uh, well, on a small scale, it was like many people in lockdown. I um, started making sourdough and. For once, it uh, it actually succeeded. <laughs> I tried about a year ago, and it was a total failure. But uh, with all the time I had during lockdown, I actually managed to make sourdough successfully and have kept going. Um, on a uh, on a bigger thing, I uh, for work I went to uh, Qingdao in China uh, last July. Seems quite incredible now that a year ago we were sailing, you know, flying off to <laughs> China so easily, but. Um, the first trip like that I'd done by myself um, and navigated through it. It was a huge privilege and opportunity to do it. Met some lovely, lovely Chinese teachers from vocational institutions. Um, had some great chats with them. Um, but yeah, there was a personal challenge to go to a very different foreign country and navigate through that. So that was a challenge that I enjoyed. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you're on our team. What is the superpower that's got you into the mansion? Um, probably uh, sort of chronic cheerfulness. Um, I'm 
extremely lucky that um, I just uh, am generally a cheerful person. Um, things don't get me down and that's not through any hard work of my own. I'm just very lucky to have that sort of nature, which I think makes life, you know, quite, uh, yeah, makes life easier for me than it is for some people. So, uh, but yes, it sometimes helps by me being cheerful. It sometimes helps other people be cheerful too. So hopefully it might help out a bit. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? I would like to consider myself an activist, but I've got a bit of a problem that I always see two sides of a story. So, <laughs> which some, somehow makes it difficult to be an activist. But yes, there are things that I do feel quite passionately about. Um, I tend to slip into being an administrator for activist groups rather than actively being activist. Um, but actually something that I want to do next year when a couple of commitments that I've got this year have run out is to do something with this sort of passion that I've discovered for small creatures and, uh, you know, looking at them carefully and slowly. I think it's a very imp important to get people more connected with nature um, and actually understand ecosystems around them because I think people will feel less likely to damage the environment when they see very directly what the um, what the causes of their actions are, you know, just little things like rubbish and that sort of thing. So I'm hoping, I'm not quite sure what the idea is yet, but something that's connected with educating people a bit more about their local environment and getting them to care about it more is something that I can feel myself doing next year because it would combine my own interests with making some positive social change. So what motivates you? Um, just a general love of life, actually, thinking that, yes, the world can be a beautiful place and a wonderful place, and I wish it were for more people, that their life circumstances didn't get in the way of other people being able to find that pleasure in it. And what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so? I think certainly, um, yeah, just finding the right outlet for what I care about, actually. Um, find, yes, finding a way to do it where I can keep my energy levels up and my enthusiasm up. And, yeah, not get bogged down in administration again, which is what I tend to do. <laughs> And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? I think I would advise them to slow down and look at the small things. Uh, there are lots of small miracles everywhere we look, just in hedgerows and gardens and on the seashore. And looking at those puts our own lives into perspective and makes us value, value the natural world around us. So slow down and have a look. Moira, thank you. Um, I was just thinking how important the administrators are in activist groups. Massively important. Somebody has got to keep things moving. Someone has to do the communicating. Somebody has to make sure there's funding. Somebody has to make sure everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. So how does any group function without its administrator? So I think that's a blooming great way to be an activist. 
<laughs> well, that's a good way. That's a good way of looking at it. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's go out to Abba with Eagle as we slow down and smell the sea anemone. been listening to blowing bubbles positive conversations with people in their bubbles their safe spaces around the world brought to you by the sustainable lens team which is brought to you by otago polytechnic we broadcast on otago access radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed in podcast on oar.org.nz you can find us on facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts we had a contribution today from tahu mckenzie I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawera Karatai in Fakatani, and across the harbour from me, Simon Wood in Broad Bay. We hope you enjoyed the show.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.